have specifically, you know, I have all the confidence in the world that I don't have to go on the job site and worry about anything. I can sit back and take my time and, and find more jobs for us to do. And then we can go, because I think you were talking about this yesterday, is you interview clients just as much as they want to interview you, right? So that's what I've tried to start doing is because there's people out there who give me, you're going to be one of three bids. Okay. So great. I don't want to be one of three bids. I'm here because of a referral or I've done work for you in the past. Take my reputation. That's my bid. I don't want to be, I don't want to be the person who's just coming in. Oh, you have Jeremy will do it for $500 less. I would probably give that job to Jeremy then. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm worth a certain amount of, of, time, my money or, you know, my money is worth time. So I don't want to be the lowest bid guy. And if that's what you're looking for, probably not going to be a good fit. I did that for too many years and lost too many tens of thousands of dollars trying to be that guy. And it never came to be anything. So I learned years ago, sometimes you just have to say no. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, a podcast that you can find on myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. Go to myexperiencedrealtor.com, click on podcast in the top right corner. It'll take you to all of the episodes. You can download them on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, YouTube. You can even listen to them on the website and you can hit the uh, read more button to find out more about our guests like we have today, Chad Mills. How are you doing today? Great, Jeremy. How are you? Man, I really appreciate you coming in. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate the invite. It's an honor. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you and I have known each other for a long time. Very. Long time. About what? Almost two decades now? 20 years. 20 years. 20 years. Mm -hmm. So for the audience... Chad and I go back to Fort Worth PD together. So you were, uh, um, <laughs> matter of fact, tell a story you love to tell, <laughs> right? Because you were a couple of classes after mine, yeah. right? Academy classes after mine, right? <laughs> so ironically enough, you were a guest speaker at our academy class <laughs> on exactly what not to do as a police officer. <laughs> as a matter of fact, from what I remember, I think you may have had a chair with your name on it down at the headquarters office. <laughs> I'll leave, the, I'll leave the floor number out of that. People figure it out. But, um, it was actually, it was a great experience learning coming onto the police department, listening to the experiences that you can do things the easy way or the hard way. You chose sometimes to do them the hard way, but was always successful and had built a brand for yourself as a forward police officer. Of course, you had told the story about your father. So it was real inspiring at the end. I just got a kick out of him. We caught up a few years later and I said, do you remember coming to my academy class? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a brand of punishment that the PD put on me. It was like, hey, because you've done some really dumb things, we're going to make you go down and speak to every incoming academy class to tell them what not to do. Right. That there is actually an easier way to do police work <laughs> than the way you, I had gone about it. <laughs> and then, So you were forward PD, but you were a police officer before that, right? I was. I was in Halton City prior to that for five years. Yeah. And, uh, Moved from Pennsylvania down. I had a few years up there under a, a department where my dad was a retired detective for the district attorney's office. So that's how I ended up in law enforcement uh, and then moved to Texas when I was 25. Yeah. Yeah. And your dad is also, just like me, mm -hmm. a Marine. That's your brother, right. Marine. That's right. Right? Yeah. You, you, you decided to skip all that brain damage and just go straight, straight to law enforcement. <laughs> 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 Tried a little college in the beginning and I kept 
walking towards the police academy was on the same campus. And uh, so I secretly unenrolled in one and enrolled in the police academy. (laughs) (laughs) But you wanted to go get some. So you did. So you left Fort Worth PD. What year was that? 2007. 2007. Where'd you go? I went over to the Middle East, worked for a, a private security company that had a contract with the U.S. State Department. And we provided diplomatic security for U.S. diplomats in Baghdad initially for two and a half years. Then I moved over to Afghanistan. That was actually a mobile training team mission. We were on there training the local border patrol on how to combat border issues like we have here in the United States. Yeah. Did that for another year and a half. And then during that transition, I knew at some point there needed to be an end game to that. My kids were growing up back here and I was overseas. So a neighbor of mine was working for a big construction company in Dallas working on apartment renovations. So I picked his brain a little bit, and that's probably around 2010 officially, but probably 09, 010, and 11 is why I started getting into that. And I had a nice little nest egg to carry me over, and I was able to come home on leave and and build that business over the past 10 years. So when you were over doing private security work in two fabulous places on Mm -hmm. Earth, you know, war zones, and building up that nest egg so that way you could utilize that to launch your own business. Yes. You know, you and I stayed in contact naturally through all of that mm-hmm. and stay good friends, you know, much since then. So you came back and and then eventually there was just full time being back here, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, and so the, the first few years, never having been a business owner and li- learning through, you know, trials and tribulations, my business was very slow right before Hurricane Sandy happened up in New Jersey. <clears throat> so that November, my business partner and I packed up our truck and trailer and equipment and drove to New Jersey to work that hurricane because I had some experience in structural drying. And that's what we we're going after with apartments. Um, we ended up landing a contract after being there for a couple of weeks. It kept us there for almost five months. Wow. So that now was, was what they call that storm. What was it Frankenstorm or something like that? Well, it was a super storm. Yeah. Because it, it decimated so much so much mileage of the coastline up and down the east coast all the way up into long island new york and area there yeah yeah what was it like going in there and looking at homes and multifamilies and just seeing it just destroyed other than the fact it wasn't a bomb that destroyed it it was it was almost as scary as having been in iraq seeing some of those buildings and been involved in explosions that something that mother nature created could just wipe out an entire coastline in a matter of 24 hours or less yeah, and just move on like nothing ever happened. And and then they're probably, I've heard they're still rebuilding some places today, still battling through insurance companies because it it costs the insurance industry billions of dollars. Like a lot of these hurricanes catastrophes do. Yeah. And what what year was that? That was. So that was the end of 2012 into the beginning of 2013. And that's when I received the magic phone call from you. (laughs) Uh, you're going to flip this on me. Oh, the audience is going to get a real treat today. And I, man, I tell you what, what you just heard in that beeping noise was Chad throwing it in reverse and just backing that bus up underneath me. So, so what happens in 2013? So we're wrapping up operations in New Jersey and you through your, well, I believe getting into the EMBA program at TCU and your Marine Corps network, came across a certain person that had some general contracting needs on some apartments here back in the DFW area. So the advice was pack your stuff up. You can come back here and make a lot of money. I said, well, I've just made a lot of money. I'll pack my stuff up and slowly drive back to Texas. 
<laughs> so <laughs> a couple of weeks later, I came down and we all had coffee and lunch and met up with the, the operations guy on those on those jobs. And the rest is a long history. <laughs> oh, man. Talk about a long, painful journey. I, I've actually been really optimistically excited about this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, it, now having this podcast for some time, people hear me drop little snippets of my transition from the PD world to the real estate world and what I call that little gap that occurred where I got an MBA from TCU, but you and I definitely got a PhD in business when we went to said company. Sure. And we're not intentionally, well, no, we are intentionally leaving out some names, mainly because there are still some legal battles that are going on there. So we were, we're, we're, just for the sake of legality, we're, we're keeping out some stuff. What I will say is we had a player who was a retired Marine Corps colonel who was the CEO. And then we had another player who was the COO who had been in the construction industry, allegedly, for a long time. And we're very charismatic. And I met the CEO through an alumni event at TCU and was just fascinated by this guy, right? I mean, for the audience out there to understand that a full bird colonel in the Marine Corps is like deity status for Marines, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, they just don't hand that out to anybody. And this certain individual also had a very impressive resume for their time in the Marine Corps Mm -hmm. and was a very charismatic speaker. Highly intelligent guy. I don't take anything away from either one of these folks, even though that he ended up doing some very bad things, but we were enamored by him. I I think that would be a fair word, wouldn't you say, is we were enamored by him, right? By his narcissism, yes. Yes. (laughs) We didn't call it narcissism (laughs) in the beginning, though. No, not initially. (laughs) It was the lottery ticket. It was the lottery ticket. We were all going to get rich quick, right? Because you can get rich quick, right? Yeah. Those schemes work. Sure. Right? (laughs) So still waiting 10 years later. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. So to give the audience some background is Chad with his construction company. And I was doing some consulting for these same two individuals because the company was called something else back then before mm-hmm. they changed the name when they invited us to be partners. Is that what they called us? Yes. But were we really partners? No. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like almost like handing somebody a title or something, but it's like a meaningless piece of paper as we came to learn. It was blank. (laughs) It was almost like you can just write down your name on a piece of paper and then you can be whoever you want to be. It's just magical, right? (laughs) And so for audience is at the time I was funny enough, supervisor of internal affairs, the 13th largest police department in the United States. Mm -hmm. So, and things you have to understand about that role is you believe in integrity you believe in honor, you believe in justice. If you're going to take on a role of being the cop of the cops, you're the, clearly the most popular girl at prom because everybody wants to screw you at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then here's Chad, who's probably one of the biggest justice seekers I've ever met in my life. Like, there's how many ways to do things? One. And what is that? <laughs> the right, the right way. way. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, so Chad and my wife are designed the same way. They have a high leading D trait on their culture index, which mm-hmm. is there's only one way to do things and that's the right way. So anyhow, we got introduced to this individual and they were doing something different in real estate. 
which was reducing operation expenses, which therefore would increase your net operating income to make assets more valuable based on cap rates, right? So if math for Marines out there, if a cap rate is 5% and you divide that into the net operating income, that gives you, is that right? It's dividing it into it or, or, or yeah, yeah. It was divide the cap rate into that gives you the estimated value of a property. Mm-hmm. Well, if you had a hundred thousand dollar net operating income and that all of a sudden overnight became $200,000 divided by the same number is definitely going to lead that property be just double in value basically. Right. right. And they had a pretty good little system of what I'll call pulleys and magic fairy dust mm-hmm. and everything else. And this company recruited people like Chad and I that had high, high work ethics and ethics that we were just going to do whatever told. We were good. We were good Marines. We're good. We're good ground pounders. We're, we're good at going and carrying out the mission, but we didn't have a lot of business acumen and we had little to no knowledge of the real estate industry. So the things that they were telling us, we had no reason to question, right? And we, we were like, okay, yeah, that, wow, that sounds really cool. And that sounds really interesting. And so we, we got to be a part of this company, starting off doing some little consulting things and little gigs that then they brought in and we were doing, what was it? the When we were meeting down at Mira Vista, what, what was that? Like every other week or how often? Every was other week. Yep. Yeah. And let's talk about that part of it. Um, right. So. How they hooked us in, like giving us this, gifting us with this knowledge, right? Well, and that's it. There was a there was an onboarding process that we were brought into, and and it was thrilling for me personally because I thought I was getting this great executive coaching that would lead me ultimately to be this grand business owner as a part of this team. Which, in hindsight, it did. It's given me some great knowledge that I've used. However, it was all smoke and mirrors mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, it, it was it was nothing more than a way to bring investors and money in onto the table, but then not do the right thing with it. All the meanwhile, we are none the wiser, you and myself and and a few of the other partners, because we were unsuspecting. And I think you put it the best, the best analogy you used was you and I specifically come with our backgrounds, we let our guard down. Because when you see someone that has that highly decorated of a title as a United States Marine, who would think to question that integrity, right? You never would in a million years. However, had we still had our uniforms on, we probably would have thought differently and maybe caught this in the beginning and not later. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was uh, pretty slick to say the least, the way that it was, we were groomed, if you will, yeah. into it very slowly, unsuspecting. And just, they were, we were drinking the Kool-Aid and they get, would give us marching orders and we would go out and execute the marching orders and come back with the result. And that's exactly what they wanted. I mean, I don't know how many millions of dollars of, yeah. of <laughs> millions. Yeah. Millions of dollars. And personal relationships personal that we, that we yep. jeopardized uh, yep. for the sake of the greater good. So we thought. Yeah. Couldn't have turned out to be farthest from the truth. <clears throat> yeah. So. No. And it was, it was the best, worst lesson we ever learned. Mm-hmm. And you and I talk about it often. And, and of course, that all ended Four and a half, almost five years ago, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. So when when you and I 
came out of this and I've, you actually put it really the best way is they, they did slowly grooming, mm-hmm. right? Much like predatorial behavior, right? That's right. And, and if there's anybody that should have been like shields up when you see grooming predatorial behavior, man, for them to get us, they were that good. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I remember when I was dealing and, you know, and man, and, and just so the audience knows, is I've spent thousands beyond thousands of dollars on lawyers to be able to speak on my behalf through all of these things. Because if there was anything we learned as a police officer, hey, yeah, you you get someone that's educated and has experience in doing this for you, or you may say something that's wasn't intended the way it comes right. out, but gets misconstrued, right? And so my lawyer was talking to one of the other lawyers for one of the other people that was involved in this thing that lost a lot of money. And and what was what was ultimately articulated is my lawyer going, like, my guy didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he went from being a Marine to a cop to jumping into the business world and did not know what he did not know. And their lawyer actually agreed and said, look, the person he was representing, which I believe was a billionaire, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. said, if my person who's made millions beyond million dollars, millions of dollars in this industry got duped by these guys, your guy didn't even have a chance. Right. Like, I mean, on his best day would not even have a chance. Now it doesn't take away that I still have no issues being accountable and being responsible for anything I may or may not have known that was going on because where you and I really dropped the ball is we allowed, like you said, we allowed our guard to be dropped because we believed in in in, in some folks right. that ultimately, as they did it, as he used to call it, the little Scooby Snacks, right? And 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 I and I get mad at myself even when I use that term and other little things because it just <laughs> reminds me of him. But using these Scooby Snacks, that they didn't just come in right away and be like, "Boom, mm-hmm. this is going to be great." It was just these little layers, and like you were saying, is gifting us with this knowledge and this experience to get us to a point where. We were, we were fully, we were, I mean, I, I, I left the police department in a pension early retirement go, right? to go do this. Right? <clears throat> sure. Right. I mean, I, I left it all. Mm-hmm. I put it all on the line. Like, man, these guys are going to do great things. And the fact that they're letting me and Chad be a part of this is going to be so awesome. So when the music stopped playing and you and I were left without a chair, mm-hmm. it was a lot more than being left without a chair, wasn't it? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, like even to the point of, I was looking at this actually this morning. You know how my office at the house, right? Like everything has a meaning, right? whether it's a photo, whether it's a trinket, whether it's a book and everything else. And I had two pins. And when they approached me and one was in 2011, one was in, no, no, no. One was in 2014, one was in 2015 is what Mm -hmm. it was. Maybe it was 15. I have to go back and look at it because I'd saved a little sticky because they were like, hey, as a partner in this company, here's what you're going to do. You're going to come with us because we just made another acquisition. And now you have ranked up high enough that you get to be one of the signatures on this property. I remember that. Yeah. And I was like, what? They're asking me. And they were like, oh, yeah, we need your personal financial statement. We need all this stuff. So for the audience, what they were doing is they were taking us individually and using our net worth our personal financial statements, our credits and everything else to have us show up 
sign these documents thinking that everybody else was signing them, but guess what? They weren't. <laughs> to include <laughs> you know? those two. Right. They weren't signing anything. Right. No, 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 no. Man, this is this is what everybody's doing in the company for all the different properties. Uh-huh. You're like, man, and it felt like an honor that I even took a little sticky note and I wrote down the date and the name of the property and I saved that pin and my goal because we were going to have, what was it, like a gajillion doors and right. we were going to have all these properties that my goal was, my little trophy case was going to be all these pins that I used to sign for these properties that the two pins that I had when the music stopped playing, not only did I not have any money, not only had I lost all my money, you had lost all your money, <laughs> investors lost all their money, we all got screwed, but oh yeah, hey, knock, 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 you're on the hook for these two properties for over a $4 million. Mm-hmm. So not only did I not have anything, lost it all, looking at my wife, which by the way, that's a real comfortable conversation. Mm-hmm. Hey, honey, lost everything. Sorry. And oh yeah, by the way, we're on the hook for $4 million. Was just this. Oh shit. Like, how did, how did I not see this coming? How did I miss this? And then it got real, mm-hmm. right? And the funny part was, is when everything got real was after you and I had left the company. Right. Right. So they had this, it started off as it was you, me, and two others that agreed agreed to come on and be these quote unquote partners. And then it was adding more partners and more and more. And we were like, doesn't it seem like it dilutes Dilutes this thing? Right. But what it was is they were, we had signed these documents that we were partners in theory, but not partners in equity. Right. Which actually, for you and I, was probably the best thing that could have ever happened mm-hmm. to us. Because, or else, we would have been very complicit in things without ever knowing it. Exactly. Right? So, then, it was January 2016. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget this. There was an incident where one of the set partners we found out was having a relationship with another one of said partners that I pretty sure almost all of us said, please don't bring her on to be a property because she was a cancer Mm -hmm. and not just because she was a habitual smoker, but she was just a mean, nasty human being. She was a horrible human being that none of us liked. And we said, you're all the culture, because that's where they really got us. We bought into this culture. We're going to go in and we're going to change communities, communities that Chad and I had patrolled. Communities that we had tried to make a difference, putting our lives on the line to try to make a difference. And now we're going to go buy assets and turn them around and make them healthy, safe, multi-family living places for these folks. And then all of a sudden she gets inserted in and we were like, hey, the culture you're building, if you let her become a partner, is going to destroy everything that you promised us. And they and I will never forget the old man is what I'll call him, mm-hmm. right? The CEO said, well, you know, I'll just go around and talk to all the partners and we'll just see majority wins. Well, it's kind of funny. He came back and said, majority wins. And then you and I went and talked to everybody and everybody was like, no, nah, man, we said no. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Matter of fact, it was the old man, his little buddy, that were the only ones, I think, that said, okay. Well, I think there was two other little people that were involved in there, as we'll call the puppets. Yeah. And you know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Jake and the fat man is what we'll call them. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking, you know what I'm talking yes. right? And so anyhow, we were like, well, I thought this was going to be a majority thing. Well, and then once she's in the picture – the culture of the company, even done. even even the fictitious thing that we would come to learn about the company that existed, right? Because they were just taking money and putting it in their pockets, 
weren't distributing it to us because right. I wasn't getting paid. Were you getting paid? No. Nope. Nope. I wasn't getting paid. You weren't getting paid. Were the investors getting paid? <laughs> well, they were. As long as new money kept coming in, I think I think your brother coined it best. Is it's like a Ponzi scheme. You're going to pay these people by bringing in the new people. Where the culture started getting just so bad that it was just it was just uncomfortable. Or finally, when we found out that the old man's little buddy was having relationships with her, who's now a partner, and you and I went to have a conversation about that with him. You remember that when we were sitting over there, it was over there at co-work. Remember that? It was. Yep. Yeah. Remember how that conversation went? <laughs> Not very well for the other half. <laughs> yeah. 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 So here it was, Chad and I sitting in this thing. And then fast forward, there is, oh, now I remember exactly. We started to do something that they didn't want us to do, which was asking questions. Right. And then the old man's little buddy called you and didn't even know that I was sitting in the truck mm-hmm. and you were on speakerphone. Do you remember that call? I do. Let's talk about that call. Well, and the, and part of the key to that is, is they were in trouble with the both of us because they knew how close we were, mm-hmm. but they were able to keep enough uh, dissension between the other so-called partners that no one trusted one another at this point. Yeah. They, they made partner a not trust partner B because they would tell them something secret on the side where all along you and I were getting the same story because I knew we were going to talk afterwards anyway. So it never worked, but it got far enough out of control. And then the conversation in the truck just set the stage. Yeah. Uh, it just, it just showed how they were trying to keep the separation, you know, the, keep the separation among in the ranks. You're not going to take over the company. Right. So it was just enough to keep us at bay and dangle the carrot, the, the financial carrot in front of us to keep us going and keep us motivated. But, but we did get honey baked ham turkeys for Christmas. That's right. That was yeah. our payment. Yes. <laughs> we got Not honey baked. Remember that? He yeah. was handing those things out like Merry Christmas. Like, man, it's been two years. Where's my check? <laughs> and that was at the dinner you hosted at your at your house with your family. Yep. 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 So yeah, yeah. that was uh I'll never forget at the end of that when everybody left. And Laura at this point was was super pissed, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, Are you freaking kidding me? You've given them two years and you keep getting promised this paycheck that's mm-hmm. coming. But a partner gets paid when everybody else gets paid. Right. Performance-based, remember? Performance-based. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, so our payment was a honey-baked ham turkey. <laughs> she was livid. Are Which probably came from the food bank. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. mean, yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, is, Leading up to this is also another incident you and I were talking about yesterday is there was some other people that were involved that are really, really good guys. As a matter of fact, they since started another company and are killing it. Mm -hmm. And these were guys that were in the class after mine at the MBA program at TCU. Mm -hmm. Super, super good people that in all actuality – they really saw the signs before we did because they even came to us and were like, hey, man, we have concerns. And I remember when they did and we were like, no, man, you don't you don't get it. No, that's not that's not what's happening mm-hmm. here. Like we weren't trying to convince them any different. We were we had the wool pulled over our eyes so much that we were just like we weren't seeing what they were seeing. But they had been in business before. That's right. They had had companies. They had owned their own companies. And they were sitting there going, we're going to have to call bullshit on this man. And mm-hmm. In January, I think we're going to pull out, right? I remember that. Yeah. And we were like, man, no, it, it, it can't be like that. 
but we first to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, the operating agreement. Yeah, they wrote themselselves out of it. Right. Yep, wrote themselves out of it. Said, "Hey, whatever alleged equity I have, Mm -hmm. you can have that. I'm out. See you later." And then, but what there was with all these properties was an internet component, Mm -hmm. right? So it was like dish to dish internet, and it was also part of the value add was you could have people that lived in that same neighborhood that weren't part of these assets that could buy the internet. And Chad and I had an idea and we don't need to make sausage out of what that idea was, but we went to the old man with it. So we got an idea and we, we went to him because one, we thought it was a good idea, but more importantly is after two years, we haven't been paid. (laughs) And we were like, this is a chance for us to make some money with this great idea. And so we we're at frost bank over Mm -hmm. off healing. We, you know, get into that little private room with the old man, you and me. And we were like, Hey, here's, here's the idea. And you know, you know, here's what we'd like to do. Why don't you tell the rest of the story? What happened in that room? (laughs) Well, I think the the correct terminology would be being dressed down by the old man. Mm -hmm. Very inappropriately because we did go to them in good faith with this idea on how to generate income for not only ourselves, but the rest of the partners who were working for essentially sweat equity. And the colorful words, I'll just say, that were used directly toward you, you didn't even process them immediately until it was after. And we walked out and looked at each other and said, did that really just happen? And we were walking to my truck. It was the end of the meeting. We were walking to my truck. And then all of a sudden, I looked. And you were nowhere to be found. You had done an about face. And you were going back to the bank. I was like, oh, no. (laughs) 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 Not today, Jeremy. (laughs) Let's just go. Let's go have a drink and talk about this. But that's when we realized it was that was the end game. Yeah. That was for us. Yeah. That was our end game. And then we needed to exit quickly. And we did. Yeah. But yeah, that that was a harsh reality at, at that. To have been addressed like you were and then myself, there was no partnership in a relationship like that ever. Mm-hmm. And we learned that we were like you said, we were enamored by the 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 full bird status. That's, you know, you having been a Marine and I have a family with Marines. I mean, that was the biggest honor to me also. However, it has put us to where we are today. And I, I, I was thinking about this last night. Yesterday when I left, we were talking. You probably within months ended up going to real estate school to try and put something together. You had quite an educational resume. And then, you know, you ended up working together with your wife. And you've done what most people takes two or three decades. You know, you've done it in how many, three, four, five years now that you've been in business. Now with the podcast and everything. So I... I think had we not had that experience, and I learned a lot from it also, I personally wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation with you. Because at that time, I had given all my clients, I gave them notice. I, I, I was staying so busy with doing the work we were supposedly doing on those properties, I couldn't take any more time to work for those other clients. So I had no clients. So that's when I kind of reset, got back into security for a little bit, did that stateside, and then Hurricane Harvey happened. And then I came back again uh, after that superstorm down in Houston. And that's where I am today. But I, I, I I think it's good. It's not fun to talk about it, but it's good to remember and always keep in the back of our minds that we'll never let anything like that happen again. Yeah. Yeah. No. And call it the DH effect. Remember how I was saying That's that? That's right. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean designated hitter. <laughs> what would DH do? And and all you got to do is the opposite of that. And that's the right moral thing to go do. That's right. Mm-hmm. And and you're absolutely right is when when all this happened and we, we knew this thing was coming to a head and there was another Tiny little, oh, no, no, the, the final, the final straw was when the old man's little buddy 
right? Anybody that knows the characteristics or anything are going to find the term little buddy really funny is calls you and we're sitting in your truck. Let's talk about that phone call. Mm-hmm. I think I blocked that out of my memory. Oh, yeah. Well, this is the <laughs> one where he called and was like, what the hell is Spin doing? Why is he trying to stir shit up? Oh, yeah. And blah, 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 blah. And he's trying to end this company and blah, blah. Why is he asking so many questions? Mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to he's trying to torpedo this thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, because you were a lot more vocal at that time than I was. Yeah. And so that that goes back to what we were talking about before is whether they thought they were going to get me saying something on the sly. You're sitting in the truck with me, whether you were sitting there or not. The conversation would have gotten reported back to you anyway and say, this is what just happened. We need to put a quick stop to this. But that's just how slick they tried to be to pit me, our best friendships against one another in the same company. Yeah. And that ultimately backfired. on them. That's the level of ego that mm-hmm. they had, though, was they knew how close you and I were and they were going to try to drive a wedge in us. And I'll never forget you and I sit in the truck. I said, you know what? Let's ask for a meeting of the founders, which were both of them and one other person who was also a Marine, mm-hmm. who I think at the end of this really just completely, I think that was probably the biggest heartbreaker for you and I is yeah. when we found out that that person was complicit in what they were doing, mm-hmm. because that was the one person we thought we had the last trust left in. Right. Like, this, we can trust so-and-so here. And we said, you know what, let's ask for a meeting of the founders. Mm-hmm. And I said, you watch. The first thing you're going to do is they're going to try to drive a wedge in us and say, we'll meet with you individually. individually. And we're going to demand that we can meet with all of them together. That's right. And uh, did we ever get that meeting? Never. No. <laughs> Didn't even get any of the individual meetings. Nope. The closest we got was to the closed door in the back of the bank that one day. Yep. And that wasn't even that wasn't even anything worthwhile. No. They knew They knew that we were onto them. Yeah. And, and they wouldn't be able to face the music all in the same room. And go right. So once you create one lie, you know, being a criminal. Yeah. Well, not you being a criminal. <laughs> but, <laughs> you can't remember your lie. So they, yeah. they had told so many lies to date. Get all three of them in the room. It would have gone back to your detective days. Yeah. It would have been OK. And that's what I wanted. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is when you say, you know, the gig was up is the funny thing is, is we never the gig being up wasn't anything to do with we suspected there was fraud, mm-hmm. right? We were just like, why are we not getting paid? Because we started hearing ripples through them getting paid and some of the other people getting paid, you know, who are their little buddies. And we were like, wait a minute, there is still, there's six, seven of us that were mm-hmm. like, wait, wait a minute, we're not, we're not getting paid. We've been here two years. We've given all this time. And I mean, and we weren't working 30 hour weeks. But they can float the notes on all the new cars and all the new cell phones oh, and yeah. computers. And oh, we're yeah. not generating an income. Oh, yeah. Funny. Because somehow I got bamboozled into signing for one of those cars, mm-hmm. which thank God that is now out of our memory banks as of November. Because God. when they finally could track the car down, right, because the old man's little buddy had put this is how many miles and this was on a lease that only allowed for like 25,000 miles over three years and there was like 180,000 miles on the car and he said this person would have had to drive coast to coast I think they counted up like 30 or 40 times in order to put that kind of mileage on this Mm -hmm. thing and it was torn up on the inside it was horrible and so and it was at the infinity the one thing this is a plug for Sewell Infinity here in Fort Worth so I had shown up Years earlier, when things were still nice and cush, 
you know, before we were suspecting of anything that, that, Hey, the old man's little buddy needs a new car. We need you down here. And I thought I was, you know, because it required two partner signatures, which mm-hmm. come to find out it only got one signature, which was mine. That's right. And then when, even after long, the separation had happened, this was matter of fact, I'll never forget. This was August, 2017, because I was getting on a plane to go with Ladanian Thomason to Canton to get his Hall of Fame gold jacket. Yep. And I get a call going, hey, you know, we need payment on this. And I was like, payment on what? Because I used to have an infinity. I was like, I turned that I turned my infinity in like a year ago. What are you talking about? And they were like, No, we have this other infinity. And it took me a while because now a full later than a year after we had left. Mm-hmm. Was because you and I left. It was like April of 2016. I think it was about when we finally were like, here's our papers. We're out. See you later. Yep. lasagna. And then this was August of 2017. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't have that, that car anymore. And it, it took like 10 minutes into the conversation before I realized it was the old man's little buddy's car. Mm. And I was like, yeah, but that was a company asset. I'm no longer with the company. And they were like, oh, no, you're on the hook for this thing. So then spending thousands of dollars more with my attorney to talk to the SEC's actuary, I think is what they call them. Mm -hmm. You know, so now he's talking to the SEC attorney to go, hey, there's this car. And they were like, well, is this an asset of the company that we can use? And and as they quickly, they were like, oh, no, we don't want this thing, man. That thing will actually cost us money. They don't get anybody's (laughs) money. And then they agreed to drop it off at the infinity dealership. And then when I got back, my wife and I, well, actually the guy that we worked with down there was like, Hey, y'all, y'all need to come down here and look at this car. And we got down here, hell damage, Trashed. scratch yeah. inside. Funny enough, smoke smell from little buddy's cancer girlfriend. And I'm not trying to make any fun of cancer or anybody out there, cancer patients. If you understood the situation, you'd understand why we say this. And so anyhow, and I just, I, I looked at him and I said, what, what do I do here? And they said, well, you're going to need to write us about a $30,000 check for this car. What? And I was like, okay, well, what if I absorb the payments on this thing and just finance it? And what would that cost? And then the service manager is like, dude, this thing's lucky it's driving. <laughs> Even if you did that, you're going to have to spend X amount of dollars just to make sure this thing doesn't fall off on the side of the road. And I was like, what do I do? But we had been, we had been, we had had infinities before Mm -hmm. and had a really good relationship with the general manager. And they, they all got together, the finance manager, the service manager and the general manager. And they said, tell you what, here's what we could do. Y'all aren't by chance looking to get another vehicle, are you? And I was like, well, actually we're getting ready to give my wife's now, God, what was it, seven or eight-year-old BMW to Maggie, who was just being old enough to drive, and we mm-hmm. were going to go buy a Laura vehicle. And he goes, I'll tell you what, lease a vehicle with us, and your normal payment would be about, on the one we were looking at, that we would say, hey, we would lease this one, would be like 700 bucks a month. And he mm-hmm. goes, how about we just make it 900 bucks a month, and at the end of the lease, you'll be ominous dominus done, oh, which came great. out to like 25% of the cost of what it would have been if we would have just had to pay for the vehicle outright. And I was like, are, are, you, are you serious? And they were like, yeah, which was a huge saving grace. So yep. now fast forward in November, we went to turn that in. So it was not only getting Laura, her new Jeep now that she wants her mm-hmm. little Wrangler, but there was something about it. That was yet another step to closing the door on that chapter yep. in her life that, because every time we made that payment, 
was we were paying for the old man and his little buddy mm-hmm. again every month. Even after this should have long ended, we were still paying for it. So it's that constant. It's kind of like it's kind of like it's a domestic abuse, right? You know, yeah. you're sitting in there and just like when you think everything's good, well, the monthly payment came up. Mm-hmm. Out and out, let me put you back in your place, kind of thing, right? And so that was it. Was just really bittersweet to let go of that car. Not so much her car in November, but it was letting go of the other one, which was yet another chapter closed on that because that's how bad and toxic these people were. And so in that January of 2016, and Chad and I were like, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna step in and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna you know we didn't know there was fraudulent activity going on. But we were just like, why are we not getting paid, right? And then I'll never forget, it was you, me, and four of the others that mm-hmm. were like, you know what I think they're trying to do? I think they're just trying to make this so uncomfortable for us that we'll just leave. Right. And then they never had to pay us. Because if we quit, we're like, well, you quit before, right before we were going to pay you thing. Part of the operating agreement specified that. Yeah. So they, yeah, they had their ducks yeah. in a row to <laughs> well-executed plan, I guess is what easiest way to put it. Yeah. Uh, so- here it is, April 2016. We're done. We're not dealing with them anymore. Look, man, ha ha, good for you. You got one over on us. You got to get free labor out of us for two years, but we're just not going to do this anymore. And then I'll never forget in September, it was August or September of 2016, front page of the Star Telegram. And it was like, uh, Laura, habitual reader of the Star Telegram, gets the paper, takes it out of the plastic, shows me the front page, and I went, Holy shit. And I'll never forget taking a screenshot of that of my cell phone and sent it to you going, did you see this? And you were like, what? <laughs> and then that's when it came full circle of like, whoa. And then that's when the cookie really started to crumble. Mm-hmm. Right. And then all the dirt started coming out. Yeah. You know, which again, drug us back into it, dealing with lawyers, dealing with everything, you know, where, like, you know, it's not a defense to prosecution under the penal code of committing many crimes, whether you were ignorant to the offense, right? And that's probably about where you and I would be accountable is that we were so ignorant through so many things that we just didn't know. We didn't ask the right questions. Even if we would have asked questions, I don't know that you and I had the business acumen to ask the appropriate questions and I look back on that because when you and I started asking the right questions in December, in January, all of a sudden, abracadabra, we were gone. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we would always get the answer we wanted, which yeah. wasn't always the right answer. Yeah. So even the even the questions in the beginning, before all that started going down, you, you would ask the question and and you'd feel satisfied that you got an answer that was truthful. And it was the farthest from the truth. And yeah. w- once we started unraveling that, then we put our detective hats back on and started unraveling that that's when it came to light yeah. and then yeah then we were at, at arm's reach and yeah. not invited to the secret society meetings anymore <laughs> the secret society <laughs> meetings the, the ring knockers club and <laughs> quack quack wolf wolf yeah. <laughs> and you know it's funny i heard those sayings so many times that i still use them sometimes and i think it's subconsciously in my head right and you're yeah. like oh I hate when I say something like that because the old man used to make that saying and now it's embedded in my brain. <laughs> but all right. So that's the bad part, right? That's the woe is me, poor us. So we had to make a decision. Mm-hmm. All right. Life isn't going to come hand us a basket full of fruit at this point. 
it's time to march on and go become who we are. Yeah. Right. And the audience knows a lot about what I do, but let's talk about what was your journey from that point? Because look, they already know your brain damage of being in the PD to private security to this experience of that particular company. Let's talk about, okay, music stopped playing. You're left out of chair. You decided to go start your own dance and have a lot more chairs. Yeah. So what did you go do and where, and what is the journey leading to where you are now and what you're doing now? So I, I had to get back to, and I think part of this was some of the guidance that we came up with collectively, go back to the grassroots of how did I start my business originally? Go back, start developing some clients, start generating revenue so I can continue to pay the bills and, and, and keep stepping on the stones to get up the rung. So every experience I had with these, these projects, you know, renovating these multifamily properties outside of that company, I ended up getting into more of insurance reconstruction work. And so I saw that as another diverse part of my business to where this past year in 2020, it's really helped me realize I can't always count on the fact that somebody's going to paint the walls, change the carpets, fix the concrete, because guess what? In 2020, three of my biggest clients told me in May, April, May, we're not spending any more money this year. So what that meant for me is all the pipeline of contracts I had were null and void right instantly. And even to date, haven't told me when they're going to start spending money in 2021. So I was able to work specifically with the COVID this year on, on some properties out in West Texas. And I've developed a, this client is nationwide. I've developed a great rapport with them doing rehabs and renovations for them. And then also become one of their prime insurance contractors for these reconstruction projects. So I realized real quick, okay, well, no more paint and carpets. What else are you going to do, Chad? You have a family to feed. You have employees to, to keep working and they, you know, they have a livelihood. So I just heavily, heavily marketed myself with my existing clients, but then let them know, hey, this is another thing that I do. It doesn't happen all the time. Your apartments may or may not catch on fire, flood things, and, and things turn themselves around slowly. And that's, that's how I'm redirecting my business this year is to focus, I won't say equally, but more, more so on the insurance side, because inevitably, unfortunately, something c catastrophic is going to happen throughout all of, all of these apartment properties fire, flood, hail damage. It's, it's North Texas, right? Yeah. So, you know, having that as, as another part of my business helped me realize, okay, I'm going to, I need, really need to grow that part and get it up to and above and beyond these capital improvement jobs. Cause they may not happen. We may have another year of COVID and these folks don't spend any more money. The reason being is other people are out of work. They're not paying their rents. The eviction moratorium's over. So now they're evicting folks. Well, they have nowhere else to go. Right? So when you don't have rent, you can't pay your bills. You can't pay the investors. You stop anything. The paint's not so bad. We'll get another lease out of the carpets and we'll just patch the concrete. Anybody who solely relies on rehabs and renovations in the apartment industry, unless there's other stuff going on, is it's almost out of business overnight, so to speak. And I had, I had just enough niche clients that, you know, I, I seek a certain class of apartments so that I, I, I can deal directly more with the ownership versus management companies. So now going to them and marketing this as another piece of my business is helped me get through 2020, <clears throat> excuse me. And that's what I'm going to continue to focus on. That's some of what we were talking about yesterday is, is helping well, not one another necessarily, but I, I need to grow my business more. So my son 
who's 18, he's a senior in high school, he's going to graduate this year, and he's been accepted to the University of Arkansas. And so we had talked over the years, you know, having military family and law enforcement things. And I've always left it open. My daughter, she's a sophomore in college right now, like Maggie. But him more so, did you ever consider the military or going into law enforcement? He said, I'm not opposed to it, but I want to get my college degree. I said, great. What do you want to do when you get your college degree? What are you going to do with it? Do you maybe then want to go in military law enforcement or go work somewhere? He said, actually, Dad, I really want to work with you at your business and maybe eventually take over your business. I said, great, because I'll be 50 next year, which is, <laughs> which is this year. And I have to have a retirement plan in place. So that was an exciting piece of news to me. And my son's really motivated to do that. So that what that does for me, that motivates me more to wake up earlier every day and generate more business so that when he does graduate college, whether he goes on to grad school or not, which I would encourage, he can come out and run a successful business and make it more successful and maybe carry on that lineage that way. So uh, that, that to me right there, just this happened this past fall, that, that really motivated me to just to grow my business even more. And, and now I'm building something that could be turned over to my son or my daughter if she changes her course, but she's really on the medical field. So that was, that was really something for me that was pretty cool. Cause I never really saw an end game to what am I going to do with my business? How, and when am I going to retire? Who am I going to, Am I going to sell it, turn it over, just shut it down? Uh, so now I kind of see an, another end game as I have someone to pass this lineage on to. That was really neat for me. So let's let's dive more into that. Mm-hmm. So you and I are pretty stable characters, right? We're not highly emotional guys. Mm-hmm. I would say that we're very logical folks. We, we look at the world. I mean, you, you can't see the things that you and I saw – whether it be me and the Marines, you doing security contracting, both of us being police officers, mm-hmm. uh, kind of having a jaded, distrustful look at the entire planet as it is, of, or maybe looking at it going, wow, this thing's a bigger cesspool than I really thought it was. <laughs> but, you know, you just try to do what you can by cleaning it up one turn at a time, mm-hmm. right? Is you, you and I go through this experience at unnamed said company. You can't go through that without it leaving you with – some insecurities, some baggage, call it PTSD, whatever you want to mm-hmm. label it, right, is because it was a part of our life. And while, yes, we've utilized the experience that we got while we were there and what we went through, I mean, I wouldn't change it, right? I, no. I wouldn't I, – I, I, look, I, it was the best, most painful experience I've got because it allowed you and I to be successful in what we're doing today – but it doesn't go without not thinking about it every once in a while to go, man, it's just a, man, it was just a gap in my life that just, mm-hmm. even though we got great things out of it, it's still there. It hangs, right? It's like that, it's like that dirty little thing that just taps at the back of your ear and annoys you every once in a while. So now here it is, fast forward four and a half years later, and you've done something so right that your integrity is so strong and you've done so well that your own son says, I want to be like you, dad. There, I mean, emotionally, there's mm-hmm. got to be some feelings that go through oh, absolutely. hearing that just besides the hey, retirement plan and my kid's going to help me out and blah, 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 blah. Sure. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, the way I grew up in a law enforcement family, my dad, 31 years on the job, retired as a detective. And I'll never forget this when he, he started the the child sex crimes unit in the DA's office in Pennsylvania, and he had a partner, 
and they would go interview the interview these perps, right? So they go to this guy's house one day, and I said, "Hey, Dad, let me tag along." And I had been out already, out of the academy, you know, sworn police officer. And I said, "Dad, where's your gun?" He said, oh, "You don't, I don't, you don't bring guns to these kind of interviews." I said, okay, well, I'll have mine. He said, "Yeah, you just go around the back. The guy's probably going to jump out the back door." <laughs> All right. Sure enough, the guy's sitting at the table with a pistol under. Him. So I slowly opened the window in the back, and my dad and his partner are sitting there talking to the guy, and he had no idea. And I, I called, I knew the guy's name. I called the guy's name. I said, "You need to drop that gun right now." And my dad's like, what is he doing? Why is he pointing the gun at this guy? We're trying to interview him. Yeah. I said, drop the So long and short of it, he drops the gun. My dad sees the gun on the floor. And that was, that was cuffs times at that, right? Game yeah. over. Yeah. But I told my dad, the way that I grew up seeing him, I wanted to be just like him. I wanted to be a policeman. This great, he was my superhero, detective, Marine, all these things. So for that to come full circle to me doing what I'm doing now and my son wasn't old enough, nor was my daughter, to really see me in the law enforcement. So they really can't relate to it firsthand. They hear all the cool stories and car chase and all this stuff, especially when we get together. <laughs> but it's not, I don't think it's as relatable yeah. to see what I'm doing right now. And so, like you said, to me, that was that's a full circle story from me following in my father's footsteps to my son wanting to follow in mine. That that gives me a great sense of pride. So it just it again, it just continues to motivate me to keep doing the right thing for his sake and my family's sake. You know, I, I wake up every day knowing I have a family to support, a wife and, and children, and I can't hit the snooze button or sleep in or say, no, I'll see you tomorrow. It's no. And that we talked, we were talking about this yesterday too, is you've done a very better job than I have. I make myself too accessible to people especially clients and the, the different crews, but I, I somewhat have to, I don't want to be the choke point of my business to where I'm not answering my phone, but you have people reaching out to you for different reasons. So the accessibility of, of myself and trying to learn how to limit that and teach these folks before you call me, just think about what you're going to call me for. You're going to ask me a question that I'm going to have an answer to hopefully pretty quickly. You can come up with the same answer. You're just, you just know I'm an easy button and you can call me and you're going to get an answer before you call me. Think about that. Think about the problem, solve your problem and just call me. Hey, hey, Chad, this is what just happened. Guess what I did? That's the phone call I want to get because it's quick. It's not a 15 minute dissertation on, on me solving your problem because I'm not on the job site. I can't be everywhere. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a learning experience for me every day to, to own a business and, and have people that rely on me to, to solve those problems and continually generate business for them. Because that was my other piece is having been a sole proprietor for so many years is project managers and construction managers are hired. But if I have to be out there doing their job, guess what I'm not doing? Finding more jobs. And then that retrospect, we're out of business. So that's kind of the, some of the leadership I've tried to bring from back to what you were saying is coming from with the law enforcement, working with these, these military organizations over the years is leadership is key. And to create your replacement, so to speak, or someone else out in the field who can do your job so I can actually be running the business you know, and in the business is something I've had to learn also. Cause I was, <clears throat> I was always on the field running the business and then I'd get home and I'd have just as many hours behind my desk doing all the paperwork necessary to keep it going. And then get up the next day was, it was, you know, being on the wheel, the hamster wheel. So I've been able to reflect back over years and seeing what you do and different things and other business owners I know that have been successful in doing that. So I, I can't be the one man show anymore. So I've, I've been able to successfully hire three people a salesperson, a construction manager, and a, a project manager for the on the ground stuff. So I can sit back and try and develop more business. Um, 
So what that, was that feeling like to be able to do the part of the business that you wanted to do? It was amazing. It was, it was a great feeling. And the construction manager I have specifically, you know, I have all the confidence in the world that I don't have to go on the job site and worry about anything. I can sit back and take my time and, and find more jobs for us to do. And then we can go, because I think you were talking about this yesterday, is you interview clients just as much as they want to interview you, right? So that's what I've tried to start doing is because there's people out there who give me, you're going to be one of three bids. Okay. So great. I don't want to be one of three bids. I'm here because of a referral or I've done work for you in the past. Take my reputation. That's my bid. I don't want to be, I don't want to be the person who's just coming in. Oh, you have Jeremy will do it for $500 less. I would probably give that job to Jeremy then. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm worth a certain amount of, of time, my money or, t- you know, my money is worth time. So I don't want to be the lowest bid guy. And if that's what you're looking for, probably not going to be a good fit. I did that for too many years and lost too many tens of thousands of dollars trying to be that guy. And it never came to be anything. So I learned years ago, sometimes you just have to say no. That's hard. That's a hard. Let's let's let matter of fact, let's unpackage that mm-hmm. because I know that you and I have had a lot of conversations over this is learning how to say no was the best thing we ever could have learned to do. But it's so hard when you f- when you have a mentality like you feel like you have to chase the business mm-hmm. until one day you wake up and go, you know what? I'm actually so good at this business. I really don't have to chase the business. The business is actually coming to me. So why am I trying to be in the convincing business? Because you can't really convince people of things. Mm-mm. You don't really have the time and energy to convince them, nor do you have the time and energy to be convinced yourselves. So you get to that point in business, you go, you know what? And it's that, maybe it's that self-confidence. Maybe it's that you, those insecurities have dropped away and you're like, I'm actually really good at what I do. Mm-hmm. Why am I jacking with this jack-o'-lantern? Right. You know, who wants to nickel and dime me, right? Because if somebody's going to nickel and dime you, they've indicated what they're going to be like to work with anyways. Yes. Right. And as it <clears throat> ever nickels and dimes, no, it's much bigger than that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so let's, let's, let's talk about that is when you, what point did you really realize that you're like, I'm really good at what I'm doing. I don't, I don't have to try to sell myself to everybody. Mm-hmm. I can just, Work with the people that want to work with me and I want to work with them. Probably about three years ago. Yeah. Probably about three years ago. And I, I've tried to stay. But part of my problem was also is is always wanting to satisfy someone, right? So we're, we're natural helpers of people, right? So if yeah. I can help and, yeah, okay, I'll do it this time. I'll do it this time. And customer satisfaction. You know, and so I've learned, take a step back. Just look at it. Are you even going to pay your bills with this? Is it even worth your time? Or could you be spending half that amount of time going to get legitimate business from somebody who wants to pay. There was a, uh, I think it was one of the Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio. He does, mm-hmm. the, they put him on the memes all the time. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and there was one that says, well, you know, I have, I have someone that can do it cheaper. And the response was, well, I have someone who is willing to pay more. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I've never communicated that to a client, but <laughs> in the back of my mind, that's one thing you, you do want it cheaper, but I, this person over here will pay more for it. It's a service industry for, you know, I'm offering a construction service. I don't want to shortchange it because then when I do, I have to cut corners on cheaper materials, cheaper labor. And then that just comes back to me having to absorb fixing all the problems that were caused because I did it for less money. Yeah. Right. The short term gain is not worth the long term loss. No, absolutely not. Yeah. No. Yeah. And that's these insurance jobs. It's, it's a tricky situation because, you know, as a general contractor, 
I can't speak to the insurance policy. I can only speak to the scope of work and how I'm going to build this particular structure back and, and do it per the insurance standards. But when insureds see a half a million dollar check get deposited in their bank account, they think they just won the lottery. <laughs> and I have to remind them, no, all that money has to go back into your asset. It can't be, can't profit from this insurance claim. And they're like, well, I don't, I don't really quite understand that. I said, well, here's the law that is a felony that says you can't, nor can I. So I'm not about to start breaking a law at almost 50 years old. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we're probably not going to be a fit. So, but if the guy down the street can go do it for less, by all means. Yeah. Knock yourself out. Yeah. Because yeah. That, that's a tricky business. That's, that's where I had to learn a lot of the legalities in insurance because there are, I mean, the, the Texas, Texas Department of Insurance, they have pretty high standards on that stuff. And, and between deductibles and insurance premiums and stuff, there's a lot that goes into it. So that was another learning curve. But about three years ago is when I started getting more heavily into that. And I, I realized, okay, people are looking at bigger paydays here and they think that they can start profiting from these things. And I had to quickly, you know, learn that, no, you can't. And I can't be involved in it. I won't be involved in it. So, yeah. And, you know, and it, and it goes back to that level of integrity you have, right? Is you got to do it the right way. And it's like I said, with your leading D trait, there's only one way for you to do things. Mm-hmm. And that's the right way. That's the detailed way, you know, and that's who you are. And I, and, and I knew that about you as a police officer. I knew about that with you when we were partners in this alleged firm, mm-hmm. and I'll call it because it was smoke and mirrors place. And then watching you be successful in this. So, all right. So you're, you're, you're in here, you're doing business it's so easy that a fifth grader could do it, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> See all these gray hairs? <laughs> I had a few about 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're losing your hair. It's turning gray. Right. You look like 20 years older than you did 20 minutes ago. <laughs> is it, so, so for the audience out there listening is like being a business <clears throat> owner and going through a lot of the brain damage you've gone through is – are you still kept up at night worrying about things? Mm-hmm. Not any of that crap. I'm talking about just owning your own business. Like, are there still things that just like keep you up at night? Going, oh man, I gotta gotta worry about this. I gotta worry about that. Sometimes in the beginning of just basically client management to make sure I've got everything set for the next day. But I can go to sleep peacefully now, knowing that I'm gonna get up the next day and not really. I mean, I can. I won't say I can do the job in my sleep because I learn stuff all the time, but I have it down to where now it's, I can explain it to somebody over the phone and they can figure it out. Yeah. I don't, that's why I don't go to these job sites anymore because it was spending so many of my, <laughs> funny, you know, I live in, live in the Fort Worth area and most of my jobs are in Dallas and Collin County. So do the mileage on that. Yeah. I'm doing 3,600 miles a month on my truck. Mm-hmm. Well, what am I not doing? sending invoices and creating estimates and doing everything I should be doing in my business. So when I finally put the stop to that, that's when it gave me the peace of mind. Okay. I don't have to worry about how am I going to fit in 12 hours of work in eight hours? Cause then, Oh, guess what? I got to take the kids to practice and dance lessons and all this other stuff and still be a dad. So yeah, to your point, yes, I can, I can not worry about a lot of things. I worry about the business cause I'm always trying to generate business in my mind, but yeah. it's not a worry anymore. It used to be very worrisome. So what would you say was a major key for you in able to make that transition to not feel like you had to go beyond every job site and stuff like that? Trusting my crews and yeah. the construction and project managers that I had, trusting that they're going to report. And 
And when I started getting the reports back that I wanted, like I went to that job site yesterday and there mm-hmm. was 15 different things that were wrong that should have been done. That, But I let everybody know that this is not acceptable. You want the inspection. It's not going to happen. It's not an inspectable property right now. So get it to the standard we talked about two weeks ago. I know the holidays happened and all that blur, but this is not acceptable. So until you're really ready for an inspection, don't call me until you're ready for an inspection. So being able to rely on people in the field is is really what turned that turned that tide. So I, I mean, I've I have a job right now in Corpus Christi. I was working out in Midland, Amarillo, Houston. I can work all over Texas and a couple states surrounding, but and not have to be in all those cities, right? I can mm-hmm. be here staying in Fort Worth and have people on the ground uh, doing that job that I used to do. So that was a huge turn for me to where I can report back and I get photos. I, I Like we were talking about yesterday, all the automated systems, you know, the clients, I give them a weekly or biweekly update with photos and a couple quick paragraphs just so they feel comfortable. Because let's say in the, the fellow who owns the asset in Corpus Christi lives in Austin. He goes once a month just because he goes, but he doesn't go to see the job. Right. So I save him the trip and just send him pictures. So having been able to automate a lot of things that helped tremendously also. So after our experience at unnamed said company and you're doing your own thing and leading to being able to trust people, was that hard for you to trust people, especially after that experience that we had over there? Yes, because I had to make sure that corners weren't getting cut and that it's specific, you know, I'll go back to these insurance jobs. You have to, put the buildings back per the scope of work that they agreed upon with the insurance company. And if you don't, because, Oh, we've done this for 10 years. No, they're paying you to do it this way. You have to do it. So I had to instill that it's different than just slapping some paint on the walls and changing out the carpets. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has to be done to a certain standard and guess what? It's inspected. So if it doesn't pass inspection, then I know something happened. So it it did. But now my main crews that they're based out of Houston, they know the level of work that I expect and they work towards that. So, so would you say that over the last several years, based on your reputation and integrity, that that is a contributor to getting more business coming in? I believe so. Yeah. I believe. And, and that used to be my business elevator pitch in the beginning, if you will. And people did or didn't really care about it. But I, I let them know that my level of honesty and integrity far surpassed anything I would do. I would rather lose money on a job then do something the wrong way on the job. And if I didn't bid the job correctly, that's my fault. I'll take the hit. I'm not going to, because I, I was in the beginning, it was well known. These clients, these big management companies and owners don't want change orders. If you can't go figure out the problem, put a price to it. We don't need to be doing business. So I learned, I screwed up some jobs and didn't figure out the right way to do it. And I, I took the burden of the cost on myself because I, it was my responsibility to do it. So yes, I, and now I, it, it's more action speaking louder than words. So I'll, I'll get these jobs and, and, and the trust is earned and not given to me. And when I've been able to successfully get the green tag and, the, and hand the keys back over and they're happy, my level of success is, or the way I judge it is two things. Would you hire me again? Yes or no. With yes, would you be willing to write a recommendation for me? So I can use that in my portfolio for future references hmm. on similar type jobs. Uh, and if I get yeses to both of those questions, I feel that that job was more than successful. And now I've just developed a lifelong client. So if you 
had to go back and change anything in our experience at unnamed said company, would would you have changed anything there? Would you have done anything different when we were over there? Well, I, you know, from start to beginning, I think the whole process now looking back in hindsight was a learning curve for us. So I think if we, if we took a piece of that out, we may not have learned as much as we know now on how to do what we're doing successfully. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, can't really say that I would have, I, 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 it, <laughs> the people that lost money, you know, specifically my brother, um, yeah. if I could take those experiences away from that, the financial burden that it put people in, I certainly would, but you know, off the cuff. No, I can't say that I would change anything like that. Yeah. I think I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. The volume of experience that we got out of that, that's allowed us to become successful in what we're doing today is incredible. But if I could change anything about it was that we got that experience without unknowingly knowing or whatever the phrase would be that it was going to cost people that we knew that we cared about we said, yes, you should invest in this company because mm-hmm. we believe in it. I mean, and man, like I, there were, there were, there were very, very close friends of mine that had invested hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of dollars. One particular that invested over half a million dollars of their own money. And, you know, I remember I, I was so embarrassed to, to go to any events. I knew he was going to be there. It's, it's not because I wasn't willing to face the music. I think I've always been someone that's willing to be accountable for anything, but it was just that I didn't know what to say. Right. right. I, 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 I was, I didn't know what to say. Man, is it okay if we still be friends, even mm-hmm. though you lost half a million dollars? Mm-hmm. I'll never forget. We were actually at his house. We were doing a little fantasy football league pick thing and we'd had a couple of beers and I just said, man, I haven't avoided you because I had shame or anything else. I just, I didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if, and, and he looked at me and he said, Span, there's nothing that you could say. He's like, look, I knew when I wrote the check that there was risk involved in writing a check. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and it did sound too good to be true, but I was willing to risk half a million dollars to find out. And he goes, so it was me that wrote the check, not you. So I don't hold you accountable for that. And he said, and one thing I know is if you would have suspected anything was fraudulent, you would have been the first to sound the alarm. Mm-hmm. He goes, because you believed in it. No one carried that flag more than you did. And he goes, but something else I knew about you, you've always been a guy that carries a flag. Mm-hmm. Whether it was the United States flag in, in the Marine Corps, whether it was the city of Fort Worth flag when you're working for the city, and whether it was for this particular company. And he goes, man, I just knew that about you. And he goes, and that's why I was willing to take the risk. Right. It's not because of what you did or did not know. It's that if you believed in it this much, then I was willing to take that risk. And he goes, yeah, I lost my money. He goes, but it's just money. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I made a lot of it, and I've lost a lot of it, and I'll make a lot of it again. And I'll probably lose a lot of it again. And he said, but I don't fault you for that. Man, ah, God, Lee, just it's, it's hard to even say that without even almost feeling like some emotion in me that of course. Like comes to the surface. Because I was like, and it wasn't that I felt like him saying that was letting me off the hook or anything. It was just to go, man, I, I yeah, you're right. It's kind of a sigh of relief. Yeah, it was a sigh <laughs> of relief <laughs> that... I guess I really didn't have anything that I needed to say or justify to anybody because people knew that 
If I didn't know, yeah, I'd have sounded the alarm mm-hmm. without even thinking about it. Look, you're not going to be the police of the police and in charge of right. internal affairs and then let other things go. Well, and remember, right? we also talked about many times is they weren't investing in you or me. Or I'm sorry, they weren't investing in the company. They were investing in your reputation, my reputation. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you remember, my medic from Iraq was one of the first investors. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, he was the very first one that wrote the check. He was. That's we flew right. him here. Wind Big to do. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Oh, yep. yeah. That is right. And I still talk to him every once in a yeah, while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about once or twice a year. Yeah. Yeah. But that that rep and you know, we we were so into it, you and I, is you had the the money knowledge, so to speak, in the in the numbers game and could put it on paper. And then you would turn the meeting over to me and say, Hey, talk to Chad about the construction. Yeah. He's gonna do the construction on this. So kind of the good cop, bad cop. Yeah. And what we thought was being a good thing is, hey, we're a great team, man. We're going to go sell this. You talk about the money. I'll talk about the construction and yep. how much you want to write a check for. Yeah. <laughs> and that was literally like, how much are you in for? Right. <clears throat> and but it's funny. I was telling you yesterday is just how many people were hurt by this company that we didn't even know. And it's a small world. So last week, I'm up at my mm-hmm. house in Colorado. It goes to Springs. And a friend of mine has a place on the other side of Wolf Creek in South Fork. And they were up there with their family. So agreed to meet in Pagosa and go eat the best. This is a plug. If you're ever in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, you need to go to Aqua Soul. <laughs> My boy out there, Gavin, is a Purple Heart recipient. He was 10th oh, cool. group special forces in the Army. And I'm not kidding you, the best shrimp tacos you'll ever eat in your life. So my buddy opinion, I was like, we got to go have shrimp tacos. So we're there and we're eating. And and it was kind of funny is because this same guy was also my very first client when I got into real estate mm-hmm. a little over four years ago. So I sold his house and helped him buy a house. And, and anyhow, we're sitting there talking and he says, hey, I've been listening to your podcast and stuff like that. And he goes, I know you, you, you were a cop and then you did real estate. But he goes, it seems like there was a little bit of a time in between there were you doing something else or what and i was like yeah actually i was a part of this i was allegedly a partner you know as they tried to make me believe in a real estate investment firm that was doing some pretty unique things to lower opex and increase noi to make assets more valuable and to double your money overnight and i was like and it turned oh, wait, out there's more oh yeah but wait there's more <laughs> but it turns out it was a bunch of bullshit and, and he goes, oh, man, he goes, you know, me and my brother and a few other friends wrote a couple of checks for $100,000 and lost all our money in a situation similar to that. And I was like, man, that sucks. And he goes, hey, that name. And he, and he was saying this in a joking manner. He goes, he goes, man, hey, the the CEO and COO were by chance, blah, 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 <laughs> old man and his little buddy. And I went, actually, yeah, that was the company. And he was like. What here's a friend of mine I've known for over four years, and he's a client, and we talk, and it was just man, just good buddies. And even then, in that moment, going, I was like, "You invested in that?" I was like, "You were an investor in that?" And he goes, "Yeah, man, and we lost it." And I was like, "And I said, you know, I said it's it's a bittersweet moment." And he said, "What do you mean by that?" I said. Because you hear me say this, right? Everything mm-hmm. is a blessing is a curse. Everything is a curse is a blessing. I said, the curse is you lost your money. And I, I am horrified to hear that. And I said, 
But the blessing in this is, wow, I really did not know what was going on in this company. Mm-hmm. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, look at it. You and I have known each other for years and I had no idea. I said, I thought I knew who all the investors were. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, oh, there's a bunch of names on that list you then you probably don't even know about. And he goes, they brought us in. And the little buddy, he said, was really good at putting on a good show, brought out the good booze and all this. And I was like, what do you mean good booze? Amber gave us any of the good <laughs> booze. Like, what? like what? And I mean, he was describing the song and dance that went on. And I was like, wow. So curse. So feel so bad. My friend lost his money, but the blessing of it going, you know what? We, it was just reassurance to that. Like, that's how much they hid from us. Right. Right. Not that we were trying to not know because we wanted to know everybody involved. Right. We wanted to be a part of it. And there were so many people that were in there that unfortunately the curse of it is they got hurt too. Mm -hmm. But it was like, wow, we, because I do have that question that I ask myself, even to this day, was, is there a red flag? Is there something that I could have seen that would have been like, man, that was that was the red flag and I missed it, mm-hmm. right? Because you're always looking for the smoking gun of like, because I do, I want to blame myself for it, right? I want to, you know, and I'm not making it sound like a pity party or anything else, but I, I go, man, is there just something I could have seen? But that's how good of con artists these two guys were. Yeah. Is that here it is four years later, a friend of mine. And I was like, I had no idea. And he was like, oh, do you, do you know so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so? I was like, I never even heard these names. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, yeah, they wrote big checks too. And it was like, wow. So there was a part of me that it, it becomes that reassuring of like, I didn't know enough to identify any flags. You and I talk about that all the time. We just mm-hmm. didn't have the acumen. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't have the no better in it. Right. And then it's like, yeah, we really did get duped. And it was just like, so it's more that reassurance of as time, time heals all wounds of going, I guess there really isn't a major red flag out there that we could have seen because I really want to, I really want to find that red flag to be able to go. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's what I missed. That's what I should have saw. How in the flying flip of a flip could I have missed that? But that's how good they were. Right. right? I mean, if there's anything that I got to give those two guys credit for, they were incredible at what they did. Mm-hmm. And you and I talked about it yesterday is the funny part is, is had they used their powers for good and not evil, where would that company be today? Right. It would have affected the lives of thousands and financially benefited many a people. And I don't mean just you and I. Right. I mean investors and other alleged partners. I always use the term alleged partners because they say we were partners. We were never partners in that. <laughs> and then when you really look at the document, you're like, oh, wow, they really wrote this thing where it was like, we really weren't partners in this <laughs> thing. We were just free labor. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And it's, you know, I, it's just interesting because I do think about it and I go, but it is that motivation of going, I have a saying in my business, trust is a currency of business, not money. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I believe in that statement so much that any time I think about changing the mission statement, I think about those two idiots right? and I go, nope, that's why our mission statement is trust is a currency of business, not money. 
And if I ever have any doubt about it, all I got to do is think of these two bozos. Is that trademarked, by the way? No, you can take it, man. No, 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 no. Matter of fact, I'm thinking about making business cards and hand it out. I'll just put your name on one side, my name on the other side. And people go, why do you have that? And be like, instead of us telling you the story, why don't you just download this podcast and listen to this? How much time do you have? 90 minutes on a podcast. (laughs) So coming full circle back around, let's say you had to go back to 20-year-old self. Right. And there's a million things. And, and I end every podcast with this. Right? I know there's a million things we would tell ourselves. And I think the reality of it is, is 20 year old self would would have listened to any of the things we would have said. But if there was that one thing you could grab 20 year old self by the years and say, if anything, do or don't do this. If it's just this one thing. Your life will be instrumentally better or less worse if you do or don't do this thing. What would you tell 20 year old self? That's hard. I've, I've often thought about that question because, the, you know, when you come to those crossroads in your career paths, uh, man, what if I would have gone left instead of the, to the right? I would have gone to the fire department instead of the police academy, right? Or if I want to work for this company overseas versus this company, or I, I, it's hard because you, you, you change the destiny in the course of where your life would have gone had you changed anything. I'm, I'm perfectly happy where I am right now. I've learned the hard way, not coming with a business background. Uh, so yeah, that's a good question. I don't have a great answer for it, but I've also often thought about it. I, I can't say I would really change too much about it because what I've always taken the various lines of public service now in the business it's, and treated them as stepping stones. And what I learned has carried me through. And at the end of the day, I can go to sleep knowing that I have integrity and honesty, that's, that's really what matters to me. And I learned that again, back to my father, you know, looking up to him and of course my mother, but being going into the line of work that he did, I've taken that to the, even to this day to that's, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sacrifice that just to go make a few extra dollars. It's not worth it. Man, that's, you know, it's really funny is, is I asked that question. I've had 20 episodes that were in the pipeline that have either been out or getting ready to drop. And I'm mm-hmm. recording this series this week, which will start dropping in February. And one of the things I always talk with, uh, with my producer, Aaron is even after this amount of episodes, I haven't had anybody give the same answer twice, mm. which is really candid. And one thing I can say is you're the first one to definitely come here and say, I actually, I wouldn't tell 20 year old self anything mm. because life experience is life experience. So mm-hmm. You're the first one on that one, man. <laughs> As usual, you're first in everything. Because, well, brother, all right, so people want to learn about Chad Mills. What's the name of your company so the audience knows? 375 Restorations. 375 Restorations. How do they How do they find you? How do they find information on you? Where, where do they go? What do they do? So um, I'm not on the Facebook, Instagram, Snapchats. I'm on LinkedIn for business, and I have a company website which has my business contact information on there, 375restorations.com. And that's it. Man, I really appreciate you coming, man. Thank you. you and I have a long history together. Yeah. And, and I've actually looked forward to this episode ever since I thought about doing a, a, a podcast series mm. because this is a big part of our history that did give us the experience to go do what we've done. But it is also very hard to talk about because when it's out, out there, like on the internet, mm-hmm. It's out there forever. Sure. So for you and I to actually be here and tell that experience, I just kind of wish that we 
that it did have the actual final closures so that way we could drop the names of the two bozos that everybody should ever avoid doing anything with Absolutely. because they will screw you out of your money and they're okay with it. Mm-hmm. And But it, what came out of two people that are willing to screw people are two people like yourself and I that are willing to do great things for people. Certainly. So, you know, yeah. it's the yin and yang, right? You got to have evil that also shows how good people can be too. Mm-hmm. So thanks for coming, brother. I appreciate Absolutely, it, Jeremy. man. Okay. Yeah, yeah man. Good episode. Good. Yeah, great, man. man. I like it. That was cool, man. Yeah, what'd you think? I liked it. Yeah.